Hi, welcome to Paperback Readers. I'm Joe, that's Julie, and glad to be talking to you again about books we read or in one case didn't read. We are glad to be back talking to you, and I have to say that in my case, this has been a really slow month. I looked and last time we talked, I only had one book to talk about. This time, I only have three. It's not because I haven't been reading things. It's just because I've been quitting a lot of things, which is going to be a theme on this episode. You quitter. I read four. Ah, I'm (laughs) catching up. Only 38 books behind in the new year. All right. So the first thing that I read was probably going to be one of my favorite books this whole year. It's called The Sweet Spot, and it's by Amy Papel. And I tried to describe it to you when I was reading it. Um, The... If you've seen this book in stores, the book jacket does not do it justice. It talks about three women and a baby, and all those things are in the book for sure, but they're not really what it's about. What? <laughs> Back there laughing. Um, it's, it's about friendship. It's about um, family. It's about figuring out what you actually want to do in your life. It's about forgiving people a lot and a really unique idea of hospitality. Um there are so many characters in this book, and they're all just adorably eccentric, um, really fun, really empathetic. There are only two characters that I really, really disliked, but it was really important to the book to dislike them, so it didn't even bother me that I disliked them. They were just... Um, it's, it's contemporary fiction. Um, it's meaningful, and it's hilarious, and it's just fantastic all the way through. Really, really solid novel. And it made me really curious about what else she had written because this is just her latest novel. So I started looking up all her stuff. And one of the other books that I read was Small Admissions by Amy Papel. And I just finished that one yesterday. It was also great. I liked The Sweet Spot better. um, But this one was really fun too. And it was much easier to describe. So one of the main characters, Kate, has broken up um, with her boyfriend and sunk into just the depths of despair, leading her sister and her two best friends to try all kinds of craziness to get her out of it. But the thing that they miss is how we all kind of have to really work through our own problems on our own time and in our own way. And sometimes what looks to other people like we're not really doing anything is actually accomplishing a great deal. Um, She takes a job that was totally outside her major and she finds some happiness. And it's a really, really good book as well. But The Sweet Spot's better if you're trying to pick between the two. And the next one of hers I'm trying to find is called um, Musical Chairs. I haven't found it yet. Well, I know it's nice to find somebody you like and then go through the catalog. You you and I, much like the gentleman who does the interview in the movie Office Space who likes to celebrate the entire catalog (laughs) of Michael Bolton, we like to celebrate the entire catalog of, of... A fair number of our folks. I just really, I like her settings. Both of these were set in New York, and I cannot get over a good New York City book. New York City, yeah. Okay. Um, nice. The characters were very well drawn. They were, the writing is really funny, but also really lyrical at the same time. It just, it hit all my sweet spots. So, there you go. There you go. All right, and then the last book I read was a reread, because like I said, I've been in a reading slump. I have probably started and then stopped. I'd say five-ish books wow. over the last two weeks. Um, I have not been in a reading slump like this in a long time. Things just are not holding my attention. And what I do lots of times when I find a book that I don't think I want to read anymore is I just put it up and I give it a couple of days. And if I have not missed the book in a couple of days, I'm not going to pick it back up again probably, um, especially if it's a library book. It can just go back. Now, I will occasionally lose one 
because I like to have several going at the same time. And sometimes what you're describing is kind of what happens uh, in that it's usually inadvertent for me. I'll have a couple going and I'll really get bogged down in one or two others. And then I'm like, well, oh, it's two weeks ago since I picked that up. I don't <laughs> even remember where I was. So I will stop the occasional book that way. Well, and see, for me, when that happened, that's very rare because I try to just be reading a novel and a nonfiction book, one of each at the same time. Um, but every now and then, I'll, I'll, whether because of library hold or just because I'm so excited mm-hmm. about a book, I'll pick up a third one. Um, but I, I usually, if I like them enough to keep going with them, I'll, I'll hang on to them. I don't stop them. I usually quit a book if it just cannot hold my interest, if it's repetitive, if it's not well written. And so there have just been so many of those lately. It's been kind of discouraging. So I read, uh, <laughs> I read um, an old favorite, Well Traveled by Jen DeLuca, um, which I've talked about on here before, just to kind of shake me out of the slump, get me wanting to read something again. It worked for that book. Still struggling a little bit, actually, though. Yeah. But I did line up a couple of novels. I borrowed one from my sister. I started one from the library that I really didn't think I was going to like, but have just thoroughly loved. So maybe I'm shaking the dust of this reading slump off and moving on to, into better times. Well, I've actually been strangely productive, and, you know, it has been one of those times where there's a lot. There's one baseball book, for instance, that I've literally been going on all year, I'm about 60% because it's one of those that I just kind of backseat for a while when, when I've got something else going, but I can kind of dip back into it. So I'm going to finish it, but it'll probably be another month. And then uh, the great book about Kentucky that I will talk about next time, I'm not quite finished, and I do want to finish it before I talk about it. Well, just uh, tell us about the ones you finished then. But yeah, then, then there are several others. I uh, read an older book called 48 Minutes, A Night in the Life of the NBA, and I stumbled onto this talking about authors. Terry Pluto is one of the guys who did it, and Terry is one of my favorite sports writers ever. He and Bob Ryan collaborated on this book. Uh, it's kind of the inside story of one particular random NBA game. I think it's about 1987 or so is when they wrote this, and the Boston Celtics and the Cleveland Cavaliers play a game. So it's really more about what's really going on in the NBA, all the behind-the-scenes stuff, the, the referees, the travel, the trading players, the, the the adding new guys to your team, teaching them the plays. It, so it was interesting. I mean, there's no like great masterful takeaway. I think I had read this book as a teenager, but it's so long ago that who knows. <laughs> but I enjoyed it and uh, love Terry Pluto's stuff, Loose Balls. His History of the ABA is my favorite and one of my favorite books ever. I've heard you talk about that one. Uh, and, and again, another one I did that was along the same lines, a writer I'd read stuff by, stumbled onto this one. It was Stephen Ambrose, the historian, his last book, which is called To America, Personal Reflections of an Historian. And it's kind of an ambitious book in that he really interjects more of his opinion into it than you're used to, uh, but he kind of runs the gamut of American history, spends a lot of his time on the 20th century things that he kind of had firsthand recall of. Uh, I wouldn't always agree with Ambrose politically, but I find him an engaging writer telling his stories and his viewpoints. And I think he's very honest about where he comes from on the whole thing and, and how we write history and why we write history. And even though this book is a a good bit old now, he's been dead for a while. uh, He's starting to grapple with 
you know, a lot of things that have become more momentous since trying to make sense of the Civil War and how we talk about it and how we think about it and things that have only gained intensity since his death. I, I enjoyed it. Uh, it's a shorter book than most of his and again, much more personal, but that wasn't a bad thing. And then the other two, um, well, one was pretty focused and one was pretty much completely random. I was really excited about this book. I was like, hey, this book is cool. And you're like, yeah, I know. I read it like three years ago. So, <laughs> which is not a first, but Furious Hours, Murder, Fraud, and the Last Trial of Harper Lee that by Casey really Sutton. funny. I know I talked about it on here too when I read it. Well, I remembered you had read <laughs> something about Harper Lee, but I couldn't remember. Oh, it's funny. Once you said it, I was like, yeah, you did read that. <laughs> But anyway, fun book. Um, it centers around this kind of crazy madman preacher who started marrying many women and bumping them off, or, or they died under mysterious circumstances, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, and he happened to be holding life insurance on all of them, and then various other family members. Uh, and this guy was just quite the character, and it all comes to a head one day with the last person who he may have done in or had some role in the doing in of, he went to the funeral and another family member came up to him and said, you're not going to mess with my family again and shot him in the head. End of story. Uh, so we get that story. We also get the story of the lawyer who helped crazy preacher man get his insurance money, who then, as soon as he is shot, turns around only in the small town south and says, yes, Mr. Killer Man, I will defend you and gets him <laughs> acquitted. Uh, uh. And then Harper Lee is looking on for all of this with the ostensible idea of writing her second book. The, Very much like Truman Capote. Yeah, the, the follow-up to To Kill a Mockingbird, which never comes to be. But would have been much closer to In Cold Blood. Yeah, which she's intimately involved with. So we get her backstory and Capote's backstory and their involvement in that and and what came of this whole crazy situation. So... It was, uh, in its own way, kind of a small-town version of, like, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. I mean, there, there's a lot going on here, a lot of crazy characters and, and a lot of different stories that uh, Casey Sepp did a good job of weaving together and making a really interesting book out of. But look, what I thought was masterful, really, about the whole thing was she she really had enough to kind of write the book that Harper Lee had intended to write yeah. to tell the story. But she didn't stop there, and she... <laughs> managed to make the whole thing really about a woman who didn't write this book and the reasons why she didn't write it. it. It was almost like two different books, really. But then that second part of it that focused more on Harper Lee really tied up the pieces from the beginning, and it all connected together really well. Man, I love the story of the lawyer. I would argue maybe it's three books tied together because he was fascinating, too. Well, I mean, it's the true crime story, and then it's the Harper Lee story. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, but he's kind of the bridge between the two, and and his story is, is no less integral to me than the other two. I, I, yeah, I, I know what you're saying, but I think even two may be leaving it short. I think it may have been three books in. Well, all. let's quibble a little more about details. Anyway, <laughs> I just thought that that was really cool because it could have been a hard thing to write a book about a book that wasn't written. Yeah, and it and never feels did, weird. No, really, she did a really good job with this. And then uh, I also read Lion in the White House, A Life of Theodore Roosevelt by Aida Donald. Um, I'm reading another Roosevelt biography, which is another one I've been plunging into for a while now. 
and this one is a shorter take on his life. Uh, it focuses mostly on his later life. Didn't really get a lot about the kind of foundational Roosevelt, which the other one I'm doing, which is Mornings on Horseback by... Oh, somebody. I don't know. He's a famous historian. <laughs> You'll come back to And it. I'm completely blanking on his name at the moment. But uh, John Meacham. No. No, he's an older historian. Okay. I was just throwing out guesses. Um, but uh, that book much more involves Roosevelt's young life, and I'm about 60% through it, and you know he's just getting into politics. And um, Lion in the White House is kind of the opposite. You're... 25, 30% in, you know, he's about to be president. So here you go. Uh, Roosevelt, always larger than life, always interesting. I think of the two mornings on horseback is going to be my pick, but again, it's, it's kind of been dragging for me. So I thought, well, we'll, we'll try another shot at it. So there's that one. And then once I finish mornings on horseback on to the Doris Kearns Goodwin book about Roosevelt and Taft, which I love dearly and have read before. But mm -hmm. You've been excited to read it again. Always, eternally, yes. So let's talk about our failure this time. All right, so our shared <laughs> read was The Creative Act, A Way of Being, and it was written by Rick Rubin. We've been very excited to read this book because... We like Rick Rubin. You especially really like Rick Rubin. Well, he's led so many lives. I mean, he's all over the musical map, a really interesting creative guy, does podcasts with Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah, there, there's a lot to sink your teeth into. But <laughs> <laughs> this book was not really for us, and neither of us finished it. Now, for me, this is on par with where I am lately in my reading life, as we have already discussed. For you, it's a little more unusual, but what we want to talk about really is who we think that this might be for and why it is that it wasn't really for us. Why did we not finish it? First of all, I didn't read any reviews of this book going into it. I just heard Rick Rubin wrote something and it was about creativity and I was all about that. But what I would have loved would have been stories that Rick Rubin told that illustrated right. his points about creativity. To be fair, I did not finish the book, but I flipped through the end and I saw zero stories. It's a very long book and it doesn't, it didn't have stories. I read um, more than you did, but um, mostly what it was was little essays punctuated by quotations that were about the creative life, like being more observant, um, really like feeding into the life force of the universe, getting into the energy, trusting yourself to be creative, looking at nature. All these things are excellent things. I have read many books that espoused many of the same things. His writing about creativity reminded me of Julia Cameron, who wrote The Artist's Way. It reminded me of Natalie Goldberg, who's famous for her um, memoir writing and then her classes on writing. It's not bad what he did. But I've already read Julia Cameron. I've already read Natalie Goldberg, and I did not. I was not really looking to read another book that was so similar. Yeah, it felt more like a how-to manual. Uh, it's that kind of instructive guide but rather not, than an illustrative guide, which is more what I was. Yeah, I, his experiences still, would be more interesting to me than his theory. I not guess. a clear how-to guide because it is That's very. True. Very loose, very suggestions more. <laughs> it's a suggestion guide. Again, we're not saying that this is bad. If you are especially a young creative just starting out, music industry possibly, um, hoping to emulate Rick Rubin, this might be instrumental for you. 
Um, I do actually know a young songwriter who has bought this and like been annotating it. I think that it, it, it it's not a bad book at all. It's just a book that is too similar to other things that we'd already read. Yeah, I don't know that I have read anything similar, but it was so ponderously intellectual, and, and that's not, you know, every well, we every book has its place in its season. Expect, this just wasn't my season with we, this book. Yeah, we wouldn't expect Rick Rubin to be that way, in, to be not intellectual, you know? Right, but right. I like what you just said about this is not your season for this book, because I think that's another thing to keep in mind when you decide that you're not going to finish a book. It doesn't mean that it's a bad book. It doesn't mean that it's forever. In a year or so, we may pick up this book again and just be knocked over by its brilliance because suddenly we're in that space we're just not there right now I know lots of people who are loving this book and praising it and I'm glad because Rick Rubin deserves it the ideas in this book are, are good ideas it's just March of 2023 and the weather has turned off cold again and we are and not time change yeah and we're, we're not there right now yeah yeah some of us are, are Doing well to keep our eyes open, and actually by some of us, I mean probably both of us. But you know what? We've been doing this for um, going on three years now, and this is the first time we have not finished a book that we talked about on here. Yeah, I didn't used to do that. Uh, This is one of the things you've contributed to my reading life, aside (laughs) from quickening the pace and, and giving me some great things to read. It's to say, you know what, sometimes it's okay to not read the book. And I never used to do it either, but guys, there are so many good books in the world. Sometimes to make room for the better ones, you've got to let go of the just okay ones. Yep. But we're going to give it a shot again in two weeks when we're going to be back with another guest. We're going to be back talking to our friend Nathan. I've known Nathan for many, many years. Um, we knew each other in high school and we were in common clubs. Um, we went to college together. Nathan's been a friend for forever. Nathan, do you remember he and uh, his wife sat behind us in Joseph and the Amazing Colored Dreamcoat when we took Natalie, oh, and yeah. she sang along loudly <laughs> <laughs> at the end of it. Um, they're just, he's a great guy. Um, we've received so many really good book recommendations from him. So when he sent us a message last week, I think, and recommended The Mayor of McDougal Street, a memoir by Dave Van Ronk, um, we said, hey, well, we'd love to read it, but how about you come and talk to us about it? Well, kind of, kind of like the Jim Abbott book that Andy recommended. Uh, this one was one that was on my radar, and there's an element when somebody says, hey, what about this? I'm like, yeah, why haven't I read that? But yeah, even better than reading it, it was going to be talking about it. and uh, From another music lover. This is going to be another situation, though, where you two know everything about this, and I'm kind of along for the I'm, ride. I'm going to put you some playlists together for some... <laughs> Dave Van Rock was a force. I mean, he he was uh, a big wild man with a giant bluesy voice, and Bob Dylan's probably said a million great things about him, and they're all true. (laughs) Well, I'm looking forward to reading it, and I am even more looking forward to talking about it with you and with Nathan. So if you have any suggestions for us or any thoughts about any of the things we talked about today, particularly when you decide to quit books, You can get in touch with us at paperbackreaderspod at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram at paperbackreaderspod or on Twitter at paperbackreaderspod. And in the meanwhile, even if the time change is hammering you like it's hammering us, have a nice big cup of coffee. And for goodness sakes, keep reading. Take care.